Yes, good morning. Wow, another full house. You guys need a bigger building or, or uh, more meetings or something. This is great. I love it. So good to see you this morning. Had a great time yesterday with the men. How many men were with us uh, yesterday morning? I think we started at 5 o'clock in the morning or something. I know it was early. Dave was waking me up, and we don't do early morning breakfast in Oklahoma at 7 a.m. We do brunch. So I was like, when I heard it was 7, I was expecting, you know, like three guys, you know, a little Bible study, and we had 115 guys show up yesterday. It was amazing. So, wow, awesome. So it's so good to be here. My wife, Lori, uh, sends her, her wishes and her love. She wanted to be here, but she works for a living, so I can go do things like this. Uh, she's amazing. I love her so much, but she had to work Friday, and I had to come in Friday, so uh, she sends her love, and she's uh, just so good. We got married uh, five years ago, and uh, it's been going really well. Um, we have not had a fight. Uh, we've not had an argument over anything. It's because of the vows that we took. Anyone, anyone going to get married soon? Uh, engaged? Have a fiance? Great, great. Want to get married? Wish someone would like you? Okay, <laughs> several, several. So uh, this will help you. What we did is uh, we made a decision that uh, she would make all the minor decisions in our marriage and I would make all the major decisions, and that's worked out wonderfully. So we have not yet had a major decision in five years, <laughs> according to her. So awesome. Uh, I'm going to share my story, a little bit uh, of my story this morning, and uh, what God has done. But I grew up in Canada, uh, so I'm kind of a northerner. I have lived in America longer than I lived in Canada, so I guess I'm officially more American than I am Canadian. But uh, growing up in Canada, I was in Calgary. I was about 60 miles from the Rocky Mountains. And so it was my habit uh, to uh, enjoy our nine months of winter. And I would go to uh, the mountains and ski a lot. I love to snow ski. And it wasn't long before I got into competitive acrobatic skiing so we would go off these jumps and do these maneuvers and hope to land on our skis and and I got pretty good at it and I began to compete and so there was this one weekend that we were having this competition and I'd never won uh, anything yet I'd been doing it for a couple of years and I you know I usually came in about seventh or eighth or tenth you know out of out of six people uh, usually that were <laughs> I was, I was okay, but I wasn't great. And, and so uh, this particular weekend, I was on my game. And there were always three jumps. And the first two jumps, I had just nailed, just stood them up, landed them perfectly, good marks. And so there's three of us left for the final jump of the day. And we're in the running for gold, silver, bronze. And so I'm, I'm there, like I'm guaranteed, just do a good jump, and I am going home with a medal for the first time. But then something inside of me said, you know, why not go for the gold? You will probably never be here again. So go after the gold. 
And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to go for the gold. And I look at these other two guys, and I'm like, how can I win? How can I beat them? They're better jumpers than me. They've had, you know, they have more skill. Their form is perfect in the air. And I'm kind of just a mess trying to get around. And, and, and I'm like, how can I win? And there was one thing that the judges loved and the crowds loved more than anything else. Anyone know what that is? How high you went. Pure height. Like up really high. And here what, here's what was so cool about going high is it took no skill whatsoever. All you had to do was go further up the mountain, come faster down, and it would propel you higher off of that jump. And I thought, I can do that. So I just said, I'm going for it. And I started sidestepping up the mountain, and the other guys are like, what are you doing? You're going to kill yourself. No one has ever jumped from that high. And I said, I'm going to win the gold. And they said, all right. So they did their jumps. They landed their jumps. It was my turn, last jump of the day. And I turned my skis, and I'm newly saved. And so I'm Pentecostal saved, too. So I am praying in the Holy Ghost. I've got Romans 8.31 on my skis. If God is for me, who can be against me? And I start praying in the Holy Ghost going towards that jump, and I'm going faster and faster. And suddenly fear begins to grip my heart. <laughs> and I hear the devil calling me and tempting me to ski off into the trees and never come back. But I resisted his lies. And I found myself going off that jump for a fully extended back layout, come around for my landing, and I'm ready to land. And I've never felt such freedom. And as I'm ready to land, there is at least 30 feet still beneath my skis. And I'm looking down, and the crowd is looking up, and they're like, he's going to kill himself. You know, the crowd loved to crash. And the judges are looking up, and I see my parents, and they got their eyes covered. And so I'm ready to land, but I, I, I wasn't there yet. And I learned something that day that I'd never learned in physics class. And that is this principle that once rotation begins, it does not stop until impact. So I just kept on rotating. And if you ever get into that kind of jumping, you want to do singles and doubles and triples, but you don't want to do what I did that day. You don't want to do a one and a half. And so I just kept on going, kept on rotating, and landed flat on my back. Every bit of oxygen just left my being. Totally winded, nearly unconscious as I hit my head. It was brutal. That's the end of the story. <laughs> so I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but that's kind of how life happened for me. Everything started out really wonderful for me. I was raised in a good family. Uh, Got saved when I was 16, led my family to Christ. Mom, dad, sister, brother all came to Jesus. God called me to ministry when I was 18, went on mission trips. The Lord opened up a door for me to begin to speak into the lives of teenagers all over America. We began to do this program, Fire by Night, began to speak at conferences, spoke in the steps of the Capitol to a couple hundred thousand teenagers one year, wrote best-selling books, you know, Dave talked about our youth group. 
in, in Tulsa, $10 million youth facility, 3,000 kids on a Wednesday night, two services, junior high 1,500, senior high 1,500, youth pastors coming in. So all of that was great. And then we were sent out to start a church, and we started the church in North Dallas in the fastest-growing city in America, Frisco, Texas, in 2006. And within three years, we had built a brand-new facility and went from three or four families to 1,000 people. And so God had graced so many wonderful things. But what no one knew was I was like death on the inside for 20-plus years. There was so much brokenness in my life because at 26 years old, in the middle of my success and just going after these ministry dreams at the expense of my own soul, my own family, I was on the road and I was traveling and one day I turned on an adult movie and these images came up and that was the beginning of a pornography problem and eventually an addiction that began to slowly just absolutely steal away my soul. And I just believed that somehow I could, I could win the battle. Somehow if I just kept fighting, praying, fasting, that eventually I would overcome. And I would find periods of time where it would seem like I would do better, but then it would come back and it would come back with a vengeance and it led me down a path of absolute obsession and destruction in my life that no one knew about. I hated who I'd become. Ten years into this, still not free. Fifteen years in, still not free. Fighting for freedom, but couldn't find freedom. I would get up and I would look in the mirror and I would look at my own image and I would tell uh, him in that mirror, I hate you. I hate you who you've become. I felt shame. But I didn't dare tell anyone in the church because I felt like I couldn't tell the church. I felt like they wouldn't understand. I was a little bit too dirty for the church. And, be, and besides, I was supposed to be the guy. I was supposed to have my act together. There were expectations. And so I just kept trying to overcome this by myself until finally, and it will happen, my sin caught up with me. And it finally got so crazy in my crazy world that I lost myself. And I gave up. I disclosed. And in my disclosure to my church, to my family, to my precious wife, to my three 20-something boys, absolute brokenness swept through our family and my life. And I literally lost everything. Lost my marriage. I lost any kind of respect or relationship with my three sons for many years. Lost my career. I stepped out of ministry forever. I went bankrupt financially, foreclosed on our home Literally, within three years, had nothing, had to borrow money from a friend to get through one month. Couldn't find a job because I had done nothing in my life but ministry. And so I died. Effectively, my life was over. 
I didn't know if I believed in God anymore. In fact, I remember looking up to heaven after 30 years of being in the ministry and saying, God, are you even real? Because if you were so real, why didn't I overcome this? Why did I let all of this mess destroy my family, destroy my life and so many people around me? And God invited me into something that is unbelievable, unimaginable. And I want to invite you in it, into it today. He invited me into this, this idea, this thing, this experience called resurrection. And shortly after my crisis and going through 30 days of rehab that cost $30,000, and I remember walking out of that rehab after doing 12 hours of counseling a day and group therapy for uh, literally a month, walking out and getting back on an airplane from Phoenix to Tulsa and thinking, I don't feel any better. I don't feel any more free. I don't feel any different. I know a whole lot more, but nothing has changed on the inside. And I remember going through that first year of rehab and going to 12-step groups three or four a week and going to my counselor and wonderful people that were trying to help me, but I remember struggling and still really not feeling free. And then something happened one day. I'm driving in a car from a friend's uh, that I'd visited in Kansas City back to Tulsa. And as I'm driving home, I'm not really praying, but I'm kind of like just open to God, you know. There's really, you know, nothing I can get out, but I'm just kind of like, God help me. And I hear the whisper of the Spirit. And I hadn't heard from God in like over a year. And, and the Spirit just kind of whispers and said, Blaine... I don't want to give you recovery because that's all I've been hearing is recovery, recovery. You got to recover, you got to recover. And he said, I want to impart resurrection. You see, recovery is fine, but at some point, there needs to be resurrection. And I began to ask, well, what is resurrection? I knew what Easter was, but really, what is resurrection for the believer? And God began to give me secrets of rising out of my brokenness, rising out of my pain, rising out of my prison of addiction. And one step at a time, he just uncovered new life practices, new beliefs about who I was and who God is and who other people are that absolutely set me free. He took me to that passage in Romans 8, 11, where it says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, quickens your mortal body in Christ, that there's power and resurrection that is abiding and living within us that we have access to every day, that we ought to be practitioners of resurrection, that we ought to be walking in that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And don't you know that every devil in hell was stationed at the tomb to make sure the man never came out? And yet somehow all of hell could not hold him back. And if all of hell couldn't hold Jesus back and the same spirit lives in me, then how can hell hold back what God's doing in my life? And so I said, God, what is resurrection? What, how does it work? I want to experience it. I don't want it to be an event. I want it to be an experience. And so he took me to Lazarus. And I had read it before. I had heard it preached. 
But seven secrets began to be revealed in my life, and I've shared these with people, and it's absolutely setting lives free. So I read in John 1, it said there was this man who was sick, <laughs> Lazarus of Bethany. See, we all start out sick. And if we don't get help, it turns into death. I was sick for years, but suddenly I died. And it said this guy, Lazarus of Bethany, was in the town of Mary and her sister Martha, and was the same Mary who massaged the Lord's feet with aromatic oils and wiped them with her hair. And it was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love is so very much sick, or love so very much is sick. So this was not any just kind of average relationship. Jesus was a friend of Lazarus, the one who you love very much, very much. That's friendship. That's depth. In fact, most historians believe they'd grown up together. They were like high school, you know, uh, chariot racers uh, or wood carpenters. I don't know. They, they hung out. They knew each other. And so the, Jesus got the message, and he said this sickness is not fatal, but it will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's Son. And so we go down to verse 33, and it's four days later, <laughs> Jesus finally shows up at Bethany. Four days later, it says, when Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews sobbing with her, a deep anger welled up within them and said, where did you put him in? They said, Master, come see. And they said, now, now Jesus wept. And so this compassion began to come out of him for his friend. And the Jews said, look how deeply he loved him. And others said, of course, well, if he loved him so much, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? After all, he opened the eyes of a blind man. And in Jesus, the anger welling up within him arrived at the tomb. It was a simple cave in the hillside with a slab of stone laid against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. And the sister of the dead man, Martha, said, Master, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead four days. He reminds Jesus, you're late. Four days, we're not taking away the stone, he stinketh, according to the King James. And Jesus looked her in the eye and said, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And then did the others go ahead, take away the stone, and they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes to heaven, and he prayed, Father, I'm grateful that you've listened to me. I know that you always do listen, but on account of this crowd standing here, I've spoken so that they might believe that you sent me. And then he shouted, Lazarus, come forth, come out. And he came out, a cadaver, wrapped from head to toe with a kerchief over his face. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him loose. Wow. Secret number one, resurrections are always too late. There's never been an on-time resurrection. The very fact that it's a resurrection tells you somebody didn't get there in time. And in this case, it was the Son of God. He was late. But Jesus said it wasn't going to be fatal, and yet it was fatal, right? But it wasn't fatal, because in the end, he wasn't dead, he was alive. So it really wasn't fatal, even though it was fatal. And so you can have fatal, but not be fatal when Jesus shows up. It's never too late. I don't care if you're 60 and still addicted. I don't care if you're 70 and you've been through 10 marriages. It's never too late. 
I don't care what's gone on in your life, how suicidal, how depressed you are, how lost you are, how confused you are, how many careers you've tried, how many failures you've experienced. It's never too late for resurrection in your life. Be Lazarus. Be Lazarus. And it starts with just admission that you're dead. Don't resuscitate, folks. Don't keep white-knuckling. Don't think I'm going to do it on my own. No, you need the Son of God to call you out of the tomb. You need resurrection. Just be willing to die. Be willing to give up. Be willing to say, I don't have all the answers. I've made a mess of my life, and that's where I had to get. After 25 years of trying to do it myself, I finally said, Jesus, please deliver me from this body of sin. Please deliver me from the pain that I've caused in my own life, in the life of my family and my friends. I just began to confess, and confession isn't easy. It's difficult. Admitting you're dead, admitting you're lost, admitting you're broken, but that's what the scripture is all about. It's a bunch of messed up people in, a, in a, a bunch of messed up stories where an amazing God shows up and says, let me give you something better. The great leaders of the church, like Peter, were betrayers. Like Paul, were murderers. And somehow God said, you have leadership quality if you will just experience resurrection. Number two, resurrections stink before they start. It's okay if life stinks right now. It's okay if you feel the stench or smell the stench of life right now. If you kind of look around and say, I don't like the way it feels, the way it smells, the way it looks. The truth is, this community, this church, this thing that, that Jesus talked about in Matthew 16 and said, I'm building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's ecclesia. It's the called out ones that gather together. And he said, all of hell will not stop what I'm going to do in this community, in this church. He hasn't called us to be a museum of perfection and trophies. He's called us to be a mash unit of healing and love and restoration. This is who we are. We sin well. Guess what? He saves well. His mercy and his grace are everlasting. Grace redefines everything. Grace says, no, it's not you checking off lists so that you can match up to what I want. It's about Jesus having checked off everything on our list and knowing that he has made us righteous and perfect and that he loves us in spite of our mess and in spite of our stink. Do we have any police officers here today that have joined us in the crowd? Any, any, any police officers? All right, brother. Thank you for serving. Anyone else? All right. Yeah, thank you. I love... I love our men in blue and women in blue. They, they protect us. They care for us. And I've got so many, uh, I don't know why, but God has graced me over the years in so many deep, wonderful relationships with officers. I meet with them regularly. It's a part of my ministry, uh, usually on the side of the road. Uh, <laughs> and they love to let people know that we're meeting with the flashing lights. Uh, that's a sign that the meeting's about to begin is when the lights flash. 
So we have this communication thing between us. And uh, so we'll meet, and there's usually exchange of papers, uh, <laughs> notes, if you will. Uh, and uh, so I, you know, usually there's a, there's a sense of justice in our gatherings and in our meetings. And, and there's this sense of, you know, you have, you know, you have gone too fast. And so in order to kind of help you understand the justice of, 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 of the law, we're going to give you this piece of paper, and you'll have to pay some money. And so I, I get that. I've learned to accept that. Uh, every now and then, and this is what I love about our, our, our officers, is every now and then there will be mercy. I've experienced mercy. And mercy comes in the form of what? A warning. Oh, I love that word. <laughs> I love when they look over and, and they're, you know, you think they're real serious and then just a bit of a, a smile comes and listen, you know, Blaine, I appreciate, you know. Uh, I've noticed you've had a pretty clean record the last week, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna give you a warning today. And when the warning comes, you're like, oh yes, warn me. Tell me how bad it could be. I want to know what could happen next time, not this time, but next time. So I give me that piece of paper that you don't do anything with that you just hold on to it you know it's like a memento i got warned you don't send it in you just like thank you lord and so the warning's awesome but here's what i've never got i've got justice i i have had a warning or two but i've never received grace because grace is not justice and grace is not mercy grace is completely different it's like outside the realm of mercy because here's what would happen if grace came from a police officer he would say, listen, or she would say, listen, I know you were speeding, you were going excessively fast, you were out of control, and uh, you need help. And so I'll tell you what, I'm going to pay for your uh, defensive driving class, and it's $1,000, so here's $1,000, go through defensive driving, and then your car's a little bit, you know, out of you know, order, and it's not, it doesn't look like it's in real good shape, so we're going to get you a new car, so that'll help, so here's your money for a new car, just put it on this card, and then, you know, you, you're in such a rush all the time, and I don't know why you're rushing, but I want you just to slow down, and so I want you, here's, you know, a couple hundred bucks, take your wife out for dinner, and talk about how you can create margins in your life, and just slow down a little bit and if you need anything else here you can call me anytime here's my personal cell number anytime anytime that would be grace and if I ever experienced that from a police officer I would never speed again in my life I promise because there'd be so much gratitude and love and like oh my goodness I am going to obey the law because you're so good to me and that's what happens except Jesus brings his grace on an exponential level this love and this care and this goodness that guides us and leads us into repentance and causes us to be reminded that he looks past the stench of our life number 3 the grave clothes must come off. Because when we walk out of our tomb, there, there are still grave clothes. There's resurrection living on the inside, but there is a next step. And so when he calls life into us, there's this other thing. And the other thing is where Jesus calls to the family and the friends who are gathered around the tomb, who are watching this experience of their, their loved one raised from the dead, and he's, he's like the walking dead, right? I know most of you haven't seen that show, but for the ones that have, you know, he's, he's mummified, he's got these grave clothes, he's, and, and, and so they take off the grave clothes, 
And there he was unwrapped in front of the entire world. The kerchiefs come off. He sees light of day in the blue sky. For the first time in four days, he was dead, but he's alive, and he's looking at his friends and family. And yet, he's naked. (laughs) He's vulnerable. Like he's before the world, and it's like there's a part of resurrection where we have to be vulnerable, where we have to open up our lives to community where we we can't get the grave clothes off by ourselves, where we need friends and loved ones and people who care about us to help get those grave clothes off. And I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for people in my church community, people that love me well, people that wouldn't let go of me, pastors who kept caring and kept reaching out, and brothers who kept sharpening me, and churches who would reach out and say, Blaine, we want to just, you know, have you come in and we just want to, we want to pour into your soul and just love on you and, and let you know how much we care for you. I experienced that kind of love from community and I invited them to help me get the grave clothes off. Where do I need to grow? What do I need to remove? And one step at a time, God took these grave clothes off. This community that we are a part of this morning is different from any other community in the world. And I used to have a message that I I, I talked about the church is supposed to be just like Disney World. Because I loved Disney World, right? Who doesn't love Disney World? Took my kids there, walk in, happy. Everyone's dancing, happy music everywhere you go. I mean, never see a a frown, never see garbage anywhere. Like, it's just perfectly clean. The the fence, the the gate posts, you know, that are along the main street, they repaint them every night from the handprints. It's all like brand new every day. It's the happiest place in the world, right? I used to preach, that's the church is Disney because you go there and you're excited, your kids are excited, you're riding rides, you know, you're buying $20 popcorn. I mean, it's just awesome. And, and, then, and then you walk out, right? You leave Disney and you're like depressed for months like, oh, man. Oh, people are mean. It, no one's happy. Where's the music? Where's the characters? And you're like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, yeah, the church needs to be like Disney. And then I, I, I thought, no, no. We need to be actually like Disney Underground. Because you don't know it when you go there, but, but beneath the surface of Disney, there's this whole maze of rooms and corridors. It's where all the cast and all the employees and all the real work is done and where medical attention happens and where Mickey gets down and comes down and sees Goofy and takes his, you know, his, his mask off and he's sweating. He's like, man, this kid was just kicking me for like 10 minutes straight in the rear. You know, he almost pulled my tail off. And Goofy's like, I know. He was grabbing my ears, you know, and, and he's sweating. And then Cinderella's there and she tripped and she, you know, she kind of hurt her ankle, you know, on her, her heels. And, and so there's like this, hey, we're, we're in this together. We're sweating. We're working. But I'm here for you and I love you and I care for you. And let's, let's go celebrate. Let's have a meal together. Let's do communion. Let's, 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 let's do this life together. And that's 
the church. It's not this crazy, happiest place, fake place in the world. It's this place where we get to take off our mask and be who we really are and see God bring resurrection into the darkness of our soul. And then number four, I love this, when Jesus or when others call you dad, Jesus calls your name. They were all like, he's dad, he's dad, he's dad. Don't listen to others. You're dad. You never make it. You're a failure. You're lost. You're an addict. You're an alcoholic. You're a drug addict. You're a terminal gambler. You're terminally depressed. You're psychotic. You're suicidal. Lots of names are called in our lives. Parents called us by name. Friends called us names. We've somehow been defined by the names that have been spoken over us. We've accepted them on some level. And yet Jesus calls us out differently. He calls us out alive. And we can't identify with what others have called us. We can't identify with what our past has named us. Second year into my resurrection, I'm traveling to one of my men's groups in my car, and I'm going to be a part of a 12-step group. And as I'm going to that group, I, I sense the Spirit say, do not check in like you've been checking in because that is not you. And if you've ever been in 12-step, which I love, I love groups, I love group work, but you'll know that you check in and you say who you are. You know, my name is Steve and I'm an alcoholic. My name is Jim and I'm a drug addict and I would check in every week. My name is Blaine and I'm a sexual addict. And this time, the Lord said, don't do that because that's not who you are and you're not defined by that. You are new creation material. You are resurrection material. And so I got to my place and I said, I am Blaine and I'm a beloved son of God and God has redeemed me and he's raised me up from my destruction and by his grace, I'm conquering my addiction. So I owned it, but I didn't own it. It's not me, it's past me. And of course, every jaw dropped in the room and I, I felt the, 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 the power of their eyes looking at me like you broke code, bro. <laughs> but I had to break code, and we have to break code if we're going to rise. We've got to believe who we really are and not accept what others and what a culture and what the world has said about us and about you. Jesus calls you new creation. Number five, there are always snipers at a resurrection parade. Always, whenever you have a resurrection parade, snipers will show up. You know, it was interesting, a chapter after Lazarus had been raised from the dead, new life, dead man, now alive, he's walking, and the, next, the very next chapter says that the religious folks, the scribes, the Pharisees, they and the chief priests sought to kill him. Really? Really? So the guy just was dead, Jesus gave him a new life, and you're going to re-kill him? You're going to kill him again? I mean, that is mean. That's the ultimate meanness. And it, only religious people would come up with that idea. <laughs> Wasn't the sinners. 
was like, we can't be having this resurrection stuff, this supernatural stuff, this power stuff. You know, and, and the reason was is because too many people were coming to Jesus after the Lazarus resurrection. And let me tell you what's going to happen. When you rise out of your brokenness, when you rise out of your death, when you rise out of your pain and your addiction, guess what? People are going to recognize that has got to be Jesus. I've never seen that person live like that. I've never seen that kind of joy in that man or that woman. Woman. I've never seen them conquer that before. I want to know about their Jesus, and there are going to be people that don't like it. There are going to be some people just say, I don't like that. You ought to be really unhappy. You messed up your whole life. You ought to be a mess. Why are you, why are you better? Why are you doing so good? Why are so many people talking about what Jesus is doing or did in your life? And religious folks will not like it because religious people like retribution. They like you to pay for your sins. They want you to go to hell. They really do experience all the punishment that you deserve because of your sin. And yet that's not Jesus. He loves resurrection because he gets glory. He gets glory. And you know what? If I'm honest, and I am, uh, the worst snipers are the ones in my own head. The shame that comes back, and no, you shouldn't be enjoying life, and you need, you need to suffer a little bit more, and you, you are guilty, and no, you're not forgiven, and all the regret, but you got to take those snipers out as well, and be transformed by the renewing of the mind through the precious word of God. Number six, resurrected people. Take long walks in cemeteries. They do. They can't wait to get to where other dead people are. Because they're alive and they were in there and they're like, yes. Who can we help resurrect? Who can we practice resurrection on? Who can we allow the spirit that Jesus is working in my life to bring life into them? Who can we speak life into? How can we be the, the arms, the feet, the love, the heart, the passion of Jesus to in our world? Because we are his body. We are actively representing and ambassadors for Jesus. And we ought to be finding people who are like us. Because so often our calling is found in what? Our conquering. That when we conquer, God says, okay, now I've called you back to the people that are still conquered so they can come out. Don't you know that Lazarus had a calling in his life? Come on. He had a calling. He didn't just get up and walk around for a few weeks and then just kind of go back to his old job. You know what? He actually became a pastor. He went about 30, 40 miles away so people wouldn't kill him. And he, he actually started the church, started a, a, a Jesus community. And he pastored until he, he would die, I think, in his 40s. And he had this beautiful Christian community where people would come and Pastor Lazarus would break bread and have communion and teach them and tell them about Jesus and all that Jesus had done for him. And don't you know he was a good pastor? Don't you know Easter Sundays were amazing at Lazarus' church? I can just imagine Lazarus counseling somebody, somebody coming in and saying, Lazarus, I had a bit of a bad week. I was kind of depressed, kind of out of it. Things are really tough this week. I need some prayer, need some help. And Lazarus just kind of looking, saying, you think you've had a bad week? Let me tell you about my bad week. Oh, what happened? I died. You died? Yes. Four days dead. 
Jesus raised me from the dead. He can help you. Everything's okay. You see, there's a testimony, there's a story that God will give you that will inspire and that will speak to those that are still dead, that are still broken, so that Jesus can make them alive. You know what I do today? I love it. I coach about 15 to 20 men a week, online, group meetings, one-on-one personally, coaching them out of addiction, and I can't wait to do it every week. It is my joy. It is my passion. I get to write books and to provide material and help churches to reach men that are caught up in the web of their own porn, their own sexual addiction, and find freedom. That's what I get to do because I love walking into the cemeteries and seeing men raised from death. And finally, number seven, resurrections cost more than funerals. They do. Funerals are expensive. They, there's, there's expense. But I'll tell you what, resurrections can be expensive, really expensive. You see, after Lazarus uh, was raised, uh, he, he was grateful it produced this like incredible gratitude in his life where he wanted to find a way to properly thank Jesus for this new life. And so he got this idea that he was going to, you know, open up his home and throw a Jesus party. A thank you Jesus party. You know, God is into parties. He loves to party. Like, the, you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to be gathered around a banquet table. It's a party. Everything's a party with God. I love that when the prodigal son took off, took all of his father's inheritance, wasted it all. What was he doing for two, three years? Partying, partying, throwing parties, wasting money, not working, just squandering everything with his party lifestyle. And the first thing that happens when he comes back to his father and says, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son. Please take me back. I ask you to forgive me. The father says, let's party. Let's have a party. Let's kill the fatted calf, robe on your feet. We'll invite the whole community. I got a band. We got some music. It's going to be barbecue. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a party. God loves to throw the right kind of parties. He's got a party, a real party, a healthy party, a community party, a love party, a grace party for us. And Lazarus decided it's time to party and celebrate Jesus. And so Jesus was the guest of honor. And he walked in. And I can just imagine as Jesus walked in, Lazarus started it. Everyone's on their feet like, man, you are amazing. And they just, you know, they're shaking his hand. They're high-fiving. They're hugging him. Lazarus does a speech. He thanks him. And then he says, Mary, come up. And we just got something special we want to do. We've got a gift that we want to pour out in your honor. And this gift was what they would do. This is a gift of honor that they would do for the most celebrated people. And showing the, the greatest sacrifice of, of an act of love is, is they, they sat him down and they took his sandals off. And they poured this aromic oil on his feet. Just poured it all out. This entire, you know, um, jar and they said the writers of this passage said that it was equivalent to a year's wages the oil so not only did he pay for all the food not only did he pay for all the party but he paid for the oil 
The average wage in America for a year is $50,000. Can you imagine $50,000 worth of aroma poured out on the feet of Jesus and everyone watching this, how much worth and value does that give to Jesus? How much was that man willing to give everything he had for Jesus? Not because Jesus required it, but because he just wanted to. When you have resurrection in your life, when you have love and grace and hope, it's all you want to do is give your life away for Jesus. And he just keeps on returning life. When we lose it, we find it. Jesus, we want to just give you everything in our lives. We want to experience what it means to reimagine life again, to, to live in freedom, to live with joy again, to live in real community and real care, to not feel judgment, Lord, to live without the anger and the bitterness and the resentment and the brokenness. Lord, we admit we're dead. We admit we need help. And we ask you, call our name. Move that, that stone, that tomb. God, open it up for us to, to live again, to really live again, not exist, not resuscitate, but to just breathe in the life and the breath of God. Jesus, we invite you in right now. You know, uh, there, there is an end to that, that ski story. So I fell on my back and uh, hit really, really hard. I did get totally winded, but it, something amazing happened, unimaginable, really. I, I hit my back, and this, it had snowed all night the night before. It was so soft that when I hit... It actually, it was like flipped me right back up. I, I hit and I'm back up on my skis. Now I can't talk, I'm winded, uh, but I'm actually on my skis. And my skis didn't come off. So I just pop up and I'm on my skis. And no one can believe it, including me. And I stop at the bottom of the run and everyone is looking. And they're like, what, what, what? How, how, how did he do that? And I, I don't know what happened. I'm like... And, and one of the judges yells down to me, this is true, he yells down to me and he says, Blaine, what, what was that? What, what, what kind of jump was that? And catching my breath, this is exactly what came to my mind. True story. I said, that, that was my one and a half back slapper. <laughs> what? One and a half back slapper. It's a new jump. And the crowd was like, all right, man. And the judges all got together. This is true. They all got together and they kind of like, we've never seen this. This is new. What should we do? And they threw up nines, 9.5s, couple tens. And I won uh, my first and my last gold medal ever. So yeah, I still got it 30, 30 something years later and it's a reminder of resurrection because <laughs> just when you think the breath is out of your soul and just when you think you're down and just when you think you're done, there's miracles in this world 
There's grace in this world. There's beauty in this world that can show up when you least expect it. And you can receive gold that is unearned, <laughs> that you shouldn't have got. But you were just so loved. And you were just so lucky to be his son and to be his daughter, right? And so grace to you today. I want you to stand to your feet. If you're here right now, and you are, I felt all morning this morning as I've been just catching eyes with so many of you, like there's really something significant happening in your in your your soul this morning. As as we've been sharing and talking, even during worship, it's like God is ready to extract something. It's like He's ready to do some some really cool surgery and pull something out of your soul that doesn't need to be there. Pull some something out of your mind, tracks that have been playing for years that need to be removed, need to be ejected. There's something deep that God is surgically wanting to remove, and he's ready to call something new into you. He's ready for new creation. It's no accident that the resurrection happened in the garden, and that when Mary showed up, he said, I, that's the gardener, because that's who Jesus is. He's this gardener that just is ready to plant new seeds in our soul and to explode new Eden, new life, new creation, new existence. And so I just want you to close your eyes for one second. And if you're here and you say, Blaine, that's me. There's something, something that God is doing in my soul, something that I'm ready to die to, something that, that God's ready to resurrect might be a brokenness, it might be an addiction, it might be a, a, a broken marriage, it might be a broken heart, it, it might be a depression that seems endless. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, Jesus is the gardener and he's going to plant new seeds and in new soil and, and bring forth new creation. Who is that? Just raise your hand, put it down. I'm not going to have you come forward, not going to do anything weird. I just want to pray for you, but just put it up, put it down. Hands are going up all over this place. Now, Lord, drop the seeds from heaven of new creation, new imagination, new beginnings. Lord, let resurrection come. Lord, you're not concerned about the stink. You're not concerned about how late it is. It doesn't matter, God. There's, there's new right now. There's a new birthing. Lord, there's a born, a born, a born again, Lord. We've been born again once, but now there's a new birth. There's even a new thing that's happening now in the name of Jesus, we call forth, Lord, speak, call their name, bring them forth, Lord, call them into a new work, call them into a new beginning, even as you've called this community into a new awakening, into a new beginning, even as resurrection has come to this church and to this community, and there's a new thing, thank you, Lord, that there's also something new that is growing inside of us, that is coming out of us. Lord, unimaginable things, Lord, that only you could do as we call out to you. Lord, you're answering and you're showing us great and mighty things that we know not of. Bring the know not of stuff out in our lives today, this morning, now, in the mighty name of Jesus. Let's worship the Lord together.
promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence that you never fail. Your promise stands. Your promise still stands. Oh, great is your faithfulness. my confidence that you never failed me yet. and I never will forget that you never failed me yet. Oh, I never will forget that you never God, this is our confidence that you have never failed us yet. And so we will not forget. And I pray that for every person in this room. Those who are following Jesus and those who have yet to make a decision to follow you. That it can be our confidence today that you will never fail us. Culture will fail us. People will fail us. But you will never fail us. You will resurrect us if we will open our hearts and lives to you. And many of us in this room raised our hand and said, there is something I need you to pull from my life, something that's dead, something that is sin, something that is destroying, and I need you to bring life. So we pray you would do that. In Jesus' name. I've heard a lot of messages over my life. I have forgotten probably as many as I've heard. You ever have that? There's a sum that I remember along the way. I've had a lot of meals in my life. I've had some really good ones. I couldn't tell you about all of them. But they nourished me. And I'm alive today because I ate a lot of meals. The same is true in this moment. I want you to get this. We may not always remember the sermons, but they've taken us from where we are to where he is. There's a lot of those that have nourished our spiritual journey. That's what this is all about. But we pray a lot of times that there are these ones that just really stand out. And I believe that this is one that has nourished us in a way that we're not even really comprehending yet. So I'm going to ask you to do two things, that we would be bold enough to do this. The first thing is that this week, once this message is posted, that you would go listen to it again. That you would go back and you would visit these truths and, and just pray that God would allow those truths to sink into your heart and do the transforming work that his word and his truth can do. The second thing I would ask you to do, those of you who raised your hand and said, man, there's something, and you know what that something is, I'm going to invite you to share that with somebody you love and trust. That we'll go one step further in biblical community that helps us keep believing, and we will share it. And we'll watch what God will do as God brings people around us. Can we do that? How many just say, man, I'm, I'm in. I'll do that. Lord, I, I just, I pray that you would just move us into resurrection in every area and every place of our life. That the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead as followers of you, God, are what lives in us. He lives in us. And so I pray that we would relinquish. We would surrender. We would lay it down. We would invite you, Holy Spirit.
the gardener of our life to take it out and bring death to life, bring life to death. And we claim that and that we would share it with those we love and trust and we would be able to love each other and bring grace as you bring grace. We will give you the honor. We'll give you the praise. We love you. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you so much. Excited about what God is doing, Blaine. Thanks for coming and sharing your heart and your truth with us. Have a great week. We love you. We'll see you back here next week.